Are you living the crazy life of a sports parent? This is Sports Parenthood, the podcast packed with cool conversations with sports people, coaches and professionals for rookie sports parents just like you. You'll hear nuggets of gold in every episode with your hosts, fellow sports parents, John and Tiffany Bonacera. I was supposed to take my eldest boy, Harley, to, uh, uh, what do they call it, uh, tryouts for divisions and whether they make rep teams. And it's, yeah, the yep, trials, yep. yeah. And um, anyway, my, my wife told me that it was on at six o'clock and so I got there at a quarter to six and, of course, this thing's already started. Kicked off. Kicked off. Yeah. So anyway, I quickly run Harley over to um, to get his you know, registration, his number and all that. Then I run over to the where there's about 150 kids there and they're all yeah, oh, organized. Yeah, it's so well organized. Anyway, I, I threw him into this drill and then I, I was watching him do it and he wasn't quite sure about the game. So I tried to yell out. I said, Harley, it's like, <laughs> it's only one touch, not two touches. And yeah. and I had this, this person come straight over to me and said, excuse me, sir. These kids are under already under enough pressure. Can you please go and sit over there with all the other parents? And then I looked around and there was about 150 parents behind me, about 50 metres away, all lined up behind this petition. I went, okay, I was embarrassing. And I had to do, so I had to do the walk of shame back to these parents and they were all judging me. And Who is and that, like, who has that parent? No, they know who he is oh, yeah, probably as well. In a small town, they're like, oh, what about that bloke? He's a professional coach. <laughs> Isn't it funny how even professional coaches like Andrew McFadden, current assistant coach at the Canberra Raiders, former head coach at the New Zealand Warriors and 100-game NRL first-grade player can be that parent. We've all had our moments. We've all been that parent. Except me, of course, John. (laughs) (laughs) If only you could see my face. With more than a decade of full-time coaching experience, Andrew shares his philosophy on athletes taking ownership following what he reflects on as a bittersweet playing career where he struggled to reach his full potential in the high-pressure environment of professional rugby league. So, as sports parents, what can we be doing to help our kids take the reins? Less hand-holding, more listening. In this episode, Andrew gives us some great insight into how to achieve this for both individual and team athletes. And what's the 361 principle? Here's Andrew, better known as Cappy, on his sporting career. I've got very fond memories of growing up in Canberra. I was actually born in Goulburn but moved here when I was one, so pretty much been a Canberra boy all my life. Went to St Matthew's Page and then St Francis Xavier High School and then Hawker College, so mm. same college that Bradley Clyde went to, so uh, you know, very nice. strong tradi- traditions there. Yeah, look, uh, my, my football journey didn't start till a little bit later than most. I didn't start playing till I was 12. You know, I played soccer before that and basically it was just a... Yeah, you know, a bit of peer pressure. Actually, it was school school friends asking me to play footy, and so uh, mm. that's what I did. And uh, but I was pretty much into everything when I was young. I played volleyball, cricket, any any sport I could play, I, I was jumping into it. Yeah, no, it was. I, I didn't really have any ambitions about playing professional sport, at least at that age. But um, okay. it was just about <laughs> playing as much as I could. You mentioned peer pressure. Or like, did you was your first team school or was it local club football? How did it go from there? Yeah, when I say peer pressure, it wasn't really that much pressure. It was more that I wanted to play with my mates, and yeah, I was playing soccer at the time. But all my high school friends were playing rugby league, so yeah, I joined Westville Conan 
when I was 12. And unfortunately, I couldn't play with all my mates because I didn't realize that I was the younger age group than them. So I couldn't oh. play in their team. Anyway, no, they're a bug of those age groups sometimes. That's right. I yeah, was a January if you are boy. younger, mm. yeah, so right. you're the so you're essentially playing with the kids that are the year below you at school. That's right. Yes. But yeah, I met some good people back then. I actually had Bradley Clyde's old man, John Clyde, was my coach for the first year. So we used to see Bradley Clyde come down and that was back when... Very exciting. You know, that was 80, uh, 89. So that was when Canberra was... Peak time. At their peak. So yeah, it was a pretty good introduction in rugby league, to be honest with you. You played lots of sports. You had friends that sort of encouraged you to play rugby league. What role did your parents play? Mum and dad really didn't push me either way, to be honest with you. They just supported anything I wanted to do. So like I said, I was always trying to join the school sport team, whether it was, like I said, volleyball, tennis, whatever it was, I was trying to get in there. It was probably more to get out of school, to be honest with you. (laughs) I think there's a common story sitting next to me. There might be. (laughs) But yeah, mum and dad, they encouraged it. They never really drove me any which way. Um, They were just there to basically support my journey, I suppose. And at no point at all, right through my whole career, to be honest with you, did they really have a strong opinion on anything. They just basically followed my journey. And you went on to play 100 first grade games, mate, predominantly for the Raiders, but also 20 odd for the Eels and a handful for the Storm. How, look, looking back, how would you define your playing career? Yeah, look, oh, it's funny. I've, I've often thought about my playing career, but I've never really had to answer the question, to be honest. So what I've reflected most on, it's, it's been, a, it's kind of a bit of a beat, bittersweet feeling for me thinking about my career. Um, I think largely it was, um, uh, I never really reached my potential for various reasons, but, but a lot of those learnings that I got in my career has probably helped me be the coach I am today. You know, my, the experiences around pressure. Yeah, look, there was, there was lots of things with my career that I, I didn't handle and, you know, that's probably helped me for the now. Can you go into those a little bit? Yeah, look, I was a bit of a manufactured player when I was coming through. Like I, I played fullback and wing when I, was a, when I was a kid, but then pretty much in my first year of full-time rugby league I was sort of converted into a halfback and then I was kind of thrown in the deep end as well I was you know trying to learn my trade whilst I was in this high pressure environment I I kind of struggled with it like it was a bit of hit and miss for me and I think over time it just I just didn't have that resilience to to kind of stick with it and I end up retiring quite young just because I, I kind of didn't have the tools to handle it and when I think about that as well I think you know I had a pretty pretty uh easy upbringing pretty I had the, like the room service treatment mm-hmm. when I was coming through and mm-hmm. things came pretty easy to me and it wasn't until I really hit first grade that I had that real first hurdle and you know I pushed through for quite a bit but um yeah I think in the end I I, I kind of just couldn't handle that pressure and you know I wish I wish I could uh, go back and you know talk to myself now and and uh, you know basically yeah coach myself and teach me how to get through all those those hurdles as you said I, I just probably just haven't didn't have the right people around me at the time to to be able to push through some of that stuff but um, as I said that learning has probably helped me definitely helped me be a, a better coach today understanding the the pressures that young kids go through interestingly you following your playing career you, you managed to transition into coaching very quickly and tell us about that process and, and how it came about my last two years of footy were injury riddled and like I said I didn't I didn't handle that um so I gave the game away when I was about 27 I came back to Canberra Mm. had my first job 
real job, as I say. I, I went and worked at a betting agency with a with a mate, and I was working uh, the night shift, and uh, yeah. and then I, <laughs> and I just happened to ring up a couple of friends back in Canberra, and I said, "Oh, is there any coaching opportunities?" And as it turned out, they had a an under twenties head coaching role. So I basically went into the club and uh, met with a guy called Jason Matthew, who you know well. You know, he gave me the job there, and that was it. That's where I started, and it was a bit of a sink or swim moment. It was either I'm going to really dive into this, or I'm going to hate it. And but uh, yeah, it was it was a real good, really good fit for me at the time, and um, kept myself in the game. And yeah, I really enjoyed being able to, you know, really uh, help young young players. So mm-hmm. that's where it started. Being so young yourself at the time, do you think that helped in in respect of being able to relate to these boys and you know, that you were, to be honest, you were still current in as a first grader. What I didn't know was how young I was a coach, you know. Mm. I often hear old coaches talk about it now, but, you know, when you're a young coach, you think you know it all and the older you get, the, the more you realise how much you don't know. A bit like parenting mm. really, isn't it? <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> so, just lurching from one hurdle to the that's next. Right. It's just one learning. <laughs> yeah, is. that's right. I actually do say to my children, you do realise this is our first time at this as well. We're like we're learning too. Yeah. We're that's, quite rubbish at times. But anyway. That's why that last child is always the best child. <laughs> the first one's just John's a, an only child. I don't know. This is Well, they gave up after me. Well that says a bit, doesn't it, J B? <laughs> exactly. Does, mate. How would you and you did mention this that you'd love to be able to go back and, and speak to yourself then as the person you are now how did your time as a professional footballer influence your coaching well well, obviously that experience um of failure i suppose um had a big impact on me as a coach i I think the first thing i had to do was kind of own own my uh, career and not be a victim to it i suppose um you know when i first finished i was probably wasn't in a great place and there was a bit of blaming and whatnot but yeah i i eventually you know come to grips with that, you know, that was my, my choice. And once I did that, you know, I could, I could work on, you know, developing my own philosophy around coaching and the people that I was coached by certainly had a big impact on my career. Brian Smith um, was a super intelligent coach, very um, innovative. Um, And then Craig Bellamy, who I had at the storm the last two years, you know, he was, he certainly showed me the, the discipline side of things and the hard work side of things. So that was the start. And then, you know, develop my own philosophies along the way. Can you dive a little bit deeper into those? Yeah, sure. I mean... Um, Please? Yeah, sure. Or, or how you how you alluded to overcoming your own shortcomings and the things that bothered you as you retired, you know, what processes you potentially undertook, mm. if you feel comfortable sharing those. You know, at first, you know, I was just about coaching the game and coaching, um, trying to out-coach everyone and with plays and all that sort of stuff. And I guess once you... Once you're in, when you're in the coaching game for long enough, you kind of understand it's it's more than that. It's more about managing people and and whatnot, and and it's not about how much you know. It's actually how much you can impart on on the people that you're coaching. So, you know, part of my philosophy, you know, I, I learned, you know, I tried when I first started coaching, I was basically almost imitating the people that I'd I'd learnt off, and yeah. you know, that probably didn't sit well with me as a person. You know, I had to kind of learn my own style and my own way, and Part of the um, probably the learning from my career was a bit a bit around this ownership. You know, you really need to own your own career. You can't leave it in other people's hands. You can't blame other people. Mm. You know what you achieve. You know, so you know 
you, you you can't be as only as good as how good your coach is. You need to you need to own it yourself. So you know, because mm. otherwise, if you get a bad coach, effectively you're going to be you're not going to reach your potential, and that's not their fault. That's that's your fault. Mm. So mm. you know, I, largely I'd I'd like to teach players to be independent of of their coach. You know, we're just there to basically support them, and that they've really got to take ownership on their own development. Is it easier said than done though? Because that's a, that's a that's a hard thing to do, I think, sometimes as, a, as an athlete. Particularly in a collective environment. Mm. It's much easier to go down that road in individual sports, but, but certainly in a team environment where you can kind of hide and blend in behind the behind the scenes. I think, yeah, it is much harder. It's much more challenging, but I think once the players feel it, what it is to own their own development, I think they they get a lot more out of it and uh, certainly the conversations that you have with players are a little bit different. It's, I remember when I went to university, it's probably where I got my philosophy from. I, I remember in the one year I went to university sitting in lecture theatres for two hours and honestly it was just, it was like torture mm. listening to these lectures. It was like that guy in you know, Ferris Bueller's day off, you know, that <laughs> yes. Bueller, you know, it was just yeah. the monotone. Yes. So unless... Unless unless you're engaging and you've got some sort of engaging presentation, lectures to me are a waste of time. And that's kind of a bit like how I felt I was coaching at times. So mm-hmm. I wanted to be more that a conversation as opposed to just talking at them. Um, mm-hmm. And as I said to you, talking about how much I know about the game, it had to be about what they knew and, and how much they understood. And then once you know that, then you can have the conversation around it. So... Yeah, we've developed little things along the way around how to do that, you know, and it's it still is a work in pro- progress, I suppose. But I feel like, you know, particularly here at Canberra, um, at the Raiders, that, you know, we're developing that sort of culture and um, I think everyone gets a lot more out of it. I'll, I'll take you back a little bit. Obviously, you're at the Raiders now as an assistant coach in your second stint there in coaching or third stint if you look back at, at Jersey Flag and uh, New South Wales Cup as well. That said, I'm interested in your time in New Zealand and um, you went there as an assistant coach and you transitioned relatively quickly and perhaps maybe, uh, would it be fair to say, even ahead of your time into a head coach and that was thrust upon you. How did you use that time to develop yourself and you know, what were the challenges? Yeah, it was an unbelievable experience that, to go to New Zealand for six years. Look, I, I was very ambitious as a coach. I wanted to be a head coach. And, you know, when they threw that at me, it was kind of like I couldn't say no. You know, when I look back now, I was a little bit naive to it. Certainly things that I learned along the way. But I think having that experience, you know, if, if I get the opportunity to do it again, I, I know that will be, um, you know, I'll be a, a long way ahead of you know, where I was when I took that first job. But um, there's, there's experiences that you can only get when you're in the job. Mm. And I certainly learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about coaching. The phrase I always use is, it's easy to have an opinion when you're, a, uh, when you're an assistant coach or a lower grade coach, but it's, it's a different thing when you're making those decisions. And um, mm. so I don't mm. take that lightly anymore, um, but, it, but it also makes, helps me um, uh, be a better support to any head, head coach and particularly for Ricky here in Canberra. But um, yeah, look, my experience was was fantastic in New Zealand. You know, I had the head coaching role for two and a half years, and we were struggling as an organisation. We, you know, we we lacked a bit of identity, and um, you know, I tried to change that, and I I tried to 
pushed and prodded where I could and I got a reaction and then then I kind of didn't so there's all sorts of learnings in around the coaching and how to to manage a squad and manage players mm. and get the best mm. out of them and ultimately I, I probably wasn't ready for it you know I, I I learned a lot on reflection about that job I when I got the job I probably I I went in hard and I tried to change things and I got like I said I got a I, got, I did get some movement and then I kept going down that road. It was like cracking the whip pretty much every day mm-hmm. and obviously over time that wore people out and eventually, um, yeah, they just they just had nothing more to give even though they were trying. And um, so I, I kind of had to look back on that and reflect and maybe, you know, I, I needed to, I guess, know those signs when to push and, and when to back off. I mean, that's mm-hmm. certainly one thing that I'm learning very much from Ricky Ricky Stewart now is um, he's got a great feel for that sort of thing about when to push the players and when to to back off because I think that's um, equally as important. You know, mm. I, when I when I when I went over there, it was all about you know uncompromising discipline, professionalism, and it was just I was just on them all the time, and I just didn't have that balance right. So that's probably the one big learning I I got from that that experience. Speaking of pushing, our listeners in particular are probably more aspiring athletes as, to, as opposed to those that might be in a professional environment. More parents of aspiring athletes. And we would wonder what you might have as in terms of advice for athletes in order to take ownership of their own destiny. We're actually trying to teach our own children this we as well and we don't, we're don't. we sort of struggling as to A, agree, which as you know is unusual with John and I. <laughs> and B, <laughs> Because we are akin on all thoughts. <laughs> and B, well, I guess B is that we're not quite sure what advice to give them. So that's, that's why we don't, we don't agree. Absolutely. But we do agree on one thing. We agree that conceptually people do need to take their own destiny into their own hands eventually. Yes. And that, you know, we can drive you places, but we can't, we can't drive you. Mm. That's right. Metaphorically speaking. I, I think that's the most important thing. You know, it's the kids have got to take you on the journey. You know, they've got to be the one driving it because I just don't think it's like even, you know, at our level, professional sport, if they're not driven, they're just not going to succeed. Mm. And so it's largely got to be their own, you know, internal motivation. But if they are motivated, then, you know, it's, there's, you know, you just got to, again, that pushing and pulling, it's about knowing when to maybe challenge them if they're getting a little stale, but also mm. maybe re- reassuring them when, when they fail. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, Obviously, a young parent too. I'm, my kids are, you know, my oldest is 10. Um, so sport at the moment for them is just fun and I'm happy for them just to have fun. Um, but at some point that may change. They, um, Even with my oldest at the moment, I can see him probably uh, wanting to be a little better at things. So, you know, as long as he's motivated and he's the one driving and I'm happy to kind of support him along that and and push him in the right direction. I suppose that's all you can really do as a parent. I mean, you do hear of lots of stories where, you know, the, the parents basically drive and now the Serena Williams and maybe even the Tiger mm. Woods. But yeah, I think you do hear those stories. Andre Agassi was another one, mm. wasn't he? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mary Pierce. Yeah. Mm. All of those. And, and to the point of negative. But I reckon there would be a lot of failures as well. You know, there'd be mm. a lot oh. of disappointed kids out there that have been driven. Yeah, but I, and I still think that those – those particular individuals, like we just mentioned, I think they've still got to have an internal drive that even though they've been driven by their parents probably to get out of bed every day and, and practice, mm. but they must have some sort of internal drive to be to go on and be that good. 
we don't know the whole story around that either. Of we don't, course. Um, you know, we're only speculating of what we might hear, but, you know, we don't know that the parents weren't equally as supportive as well in those mm. um, moments. But I think the, the fun has to be the priority in, in, in terms of kids. I mean, even as adults, it has to be fun as well. Yes. It's, I mean, that's probably the one thing, you know, probably reflecting on my, my journey in New Zealand was I just, that's what I lost. I lost the fun. I lost the... Mm that moment to celebrate when we did have successes and if unless you have that you know just it's it does become something that's not enjoyable that's got to be the priority as a kid you know even when they are motivated and, and they are um uh, maybe an elite athlete that you certainly take the moments to celebrate the, with them when they achieve something i think that's that that's that'll keep them going mm, mm, so true mate you've referenced the environment that you're in there now at the raiders we would be interested in sort of what type of thing uh, or things do you have in place there that might help to facilitate your athletes or any athletes taking ownership of their own destiny without obviously giving away trade secrets. No trade secrets. But you can if you well, want. Well, you can if you want, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I think that… The, Sorry, Stick. <laughs> that, oh, it's yeah. right. I'll disclose all this to Stick anyway, mate, so that's all right. <laughs> um, I think the, probably the most important thing in any environment that it's a person a purposeful one you've got to have a purpose you know and i think you know in elite sport it's it's kind of easy everyone wants to win so you can set the bar really high but even for young kids it's it's, you know what what is their purpose what is Mm. what's the ultimate goal what are they what's their ambition what are they striving for and i think once you know what people want the, the the other conversations are easy to have you know the the discipline and the the work ethic yeah. that, that is required to um to go into that so you know certainly in our environment you know we talk about winning it's it's not a taboo word or anything we don't want to talk about winning because that's an outcome thing we actually talk about it because that's what we want to do and mm. i think you know i know in past environments i've been in you know that wasn't the way it was it was like if you talked about it you'd never get there but i mm. think um you got to talk about um what you want to achieve as a group as an individual and then and then it becomes about what 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 are the steps put in place mm. to get there and mm. and when you know what you're aiming for then the, the those tough conversations around whatever it is discipline and making choices is is easy because you just don't mm. get there unless you make those choices the good choices so in your experience what happens when athletes don't take ownership you can see it all the time is when you start mm. to make excuses and blame and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And ultimately they don't learn. They don't move. It's all mm. about movement for me. It's, it's about how fast you can move, how far you can move and people that have that kind of mindset. So you can kind of read it really quickly uh, when, when you do get those excuses or you always get that pushback when you're trying to talk to an athlete that they're kind of obstructing themselves. They're not going to allow themselves to move and learn. So how do you do that? How do you change an athlete that's like that? Well, you've got to kind of got to put it to them in front of them, you know, about hmm. their behavior. Um, you've got to call it out as it is. That's how I see it um, hmm. in the nicest possible way. But you kind of got to get them looking forward and trying to get there. Um, so I think and once they understand what their behavior is, they've got a choice to either change it or they don't. So and that's that's up to them. That's that ownership again. Do you think that certain environments help to facilitate that better for certain individuals? Uh, obviously, in a, in a rugby league capacity, we see players that perhaps have had, in inverted commas, an ordinary career at a certain club or a couple of clubs, and then they go to a third club and all of a sudden they're a superstar. What do you put that down to? Yeah, it's definitely the environment for those guys. I, I, I learn a great... Um, 
I use it all the time. Um, I, I was lucky enough to get exposed to the New Zealand All Blacks psychiatrist, Kerry Evans, and he's been working with the All Blacks since 2007. Um, you know, he's mm. been there for their World Cups and um, he gave me a great little tool or it's kind of like a perspective on any environment. You've got uh, a three-six-one principle. The three at the top, they're the, they're the kind of leaders. There's, they're high influence in your team. Mm-hmm. The six are the ambivalent ones in the middle and the one at the bottom is that you know, the one that drags the team down. But we also know that the one at the bottom can be equally as influential as the ones at the top. And what it comes mm-hmm. down to is are the ones at the bottom more have more influence on the on the ambivalent ones in the middle than the three at the top. That'll depend on the environment. So if you've got good mm. leaders, you know, you, you talk about the Melbournes, the, the Cameron Smith, the Cooper Cronks, when they were all there, well, you can see why they're, those, the group of six players in the middle were, were getting pulled up to their level. And that's, that's how it works, I think. You know, you've got to get rid of the mm. one at the bottom. But in mm. any group, you'll have the one. Mm. There's always someone bringing mm. a group down. That's what we mm. talk about in a team environment, obviously. I think the power of your leaders, the power of the people at the top of your organisation will either drag people up or they'll get pulled down by you know, the, the, the distractors the in the team. Yeah, the one. Andrew, as a coach, can you see quite quickly the, one, the athletes that do have that ownership sort of scenario kind of down pat? I think... You can see it by their resistance to want to take feedback. That's probably the first one. When you you know you can be talking about something very simply in my environment, like tackle technique, and you might give them something, and just, you can see straight away there's a defence mechanism around. <laughs> so the ones that don't like, yeah, okay, yeah, don't like feedback. They don't, yeah. they don't want to, they want to learn. So, and then, but then you know that's and some some play athletes are just easy you can just you can tell them straight as it is and they'll just take it on board no matter what it doesn't mean people can't change they've just got to basically be made aware of how they're reacting mm. how they're behaving and and once they kind of understand it and it you know we we're all made differently and we all have uh different i say, i guess um survival mechanisms when we're put mm. under pressure but once you make people aware of it, they've got a choice to either move, and and a lot of them do because, I said, if you if you if you talk to those players and ask them what it is that they want to get out of their career, what is their ambition, and you say, well, if I don't address this this little thing that we've we you know this mm. little skill improvement mm. that we're talking about, how are you going to get there? And mm. and they kind of become more open to accepting coaching, and they they're more inclined to want to move forward. So essentially. Receiving the information the way it's intended. That's right. Which is to make that's you better. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And willingness to take it on board, I guess. That's 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 a hundred percent right. That's they've got mm. to be willing to take it on board, and that that's the ownership bit. So mm. when when they get into this mindset, you you find that they're easy to coach. They're just mm. they're like sponges, and they'll just keep they'll they'll come mm. to you more often than not. So and that's that's where um you know my philosophy, coaching philosophy's gone. You know you, you got to. There's different personalities in every group and you've got to find mm-hmm. a way to, I guess, tap into all of them, particularly in a team sport because, you know, you, you're only as good as, you know, your weakest link. So you've got to make sure everyone's highly motivated and wants to, to get better. Steering away briefly from the professional organisation, mate, and this is probably not the easiest question to answer, could you describe, you know, a, a sporting club that you think is is a good environment for for athletes or even just to learn and grow the game, no, not, not at any level, too, yeah. Like just coming through. What should, what should people be looking for in a sports club mm. that would be beneficial for their time there? 
I think you need good leadership at any club. I mean, I think, you know, I've been talking a lot of, with my colleagues around uh, junior sport here in Canberra because we've all got young kids now and we can mm. see the politics that comes into mm. into junior sport. It's ridiculous, but it yes. happens because people, you know, they, for whatever reason, they've got self-interest and it really has yeah. to come back to the kids. So I guess in terms of an organisation, I think the organisation has to have a, you know, a clear objective and then they've got mm. to have people that are actively trying to follow out that mm. objective and that purpose. Mm. As I said, it's a bit like what I said before. You've got to have a purposeful place where, you know, for junior sport, I think it's it's being a safe environment where they can have fun and, and enjoy playing sport. Mm. It can't be filled with politics and parents infighting about who's got the most power Selections. and whatnot. Selection yes. and that mm. sort, of, sort of stuff. So, mm. you know, I think that's where it starts. It starts with leadership at any organisation mm. and then and then they've got to have a clear sort of plan around having good people. You need people that are actually want to contribute to the organisation, not not there for their own personal interest, yeah. I think. That's yeah. the, probably the main thing. As parents, uh, we're trying to teach, you know, we talked about this, our, children, our own children to take uh, leadership of their sporting careers. And we're encouraging, for example, our children to sort of pick up their own questions etc with their coaches directly I guess my question is you know where do parents sort of fit into that equation in your in your view so you know if our kids are sort of come home from training and they're they've got questions or they're unhappy or they're this or they've whatever we've encouraged them to you know obviously they're at an age that they're a little bit older to have those conversations directly rather than us stepping in and doing it for them is that sort of part of it or what would you suggest I think that's definitely part of it I think you know as a parent you you're largely in, on the back, you know, you're on the on the reserve bench, sort of just watching, and <laughs> pretty much. And but you, you do, um, you know, you know your kids' behaviour, you know their in moods, and and when they're down and when they're up, and I guess it's kind of just trying to be aware of that, and then try to, um, I guess, push the right buttons when mm. you think it, you need to. Like I think mm. certainly if a, if a child is motivated to be want to be better, then. I think it's easy to challenge them and mm. easy to push them in a, in the right direction. I think mm. um, you know mm. when they're not in the mood, then then maybe it's a little bit different approach. Yeah, you know, mm. I'm certainly not an expert. Definitely. You know, I, I I don't know how I haven't ever coached my kids. I know my my boys are getting to that age where they want me to coach them, and yeah, oh, and I'm sure their mates are and their families are wanting you to coach them as well. <laughs> that's right, and and I honestly don't have the first clue how to coach at that level, so. Other than I would make it a fun environment, you know, that's mm. probably where I would start with first and, you know, if, if they respond to stuff and, yeah, it'd have to be fun first. And No, you, you, you haven't done much coaching because you work on the weekends a lot of the time. <laughs> well, and Andrew doesn't. <laughs> well, he does actually, but you're going to be dragged in anyway. I, I know I've, that for sure. I've done, I've done here and there. And um, I've, I've found... JB's dealing with kids every single day. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> and he... uh, I'm dealing with kids having kids, mate. Yeah, well. That's right. Um, but he's not doing the greatest job with his own daughters maybe sometimes. Not. <laughs> maybe not. Yeah, I'm still navigating just, that they, hormonal they, journey. They roll sure. their eyes and say, here comes dad's lecture. Well, if... <laughs> well, if if um, the parents are on the sideline for your kids, I'd say mums are on the sideline and dads are probably up in the nosebleed section somewhere <laughs> yes. a long way away from the girls, from the daughters. In terms of providing the appropriate True. level of support. <laughs> I, I think the other thing that I've noticed, if we're talking about a, a kid's sporting journey, the one thing that comes to mind is is also navigating failure or 
understanding what it what it means to lose and that it's not the end of the world. Oh, like that results is not it. And you know, coming last in your swimming race or even pulling coming out yesterday or pulling out or even even coming second when you had hopes of coming first can be disappointing. But that's just a natural part of sport. Have you got anything you can add to that? Look, if you've got the answer to that, I mean, my boys, my boys chucked a tantrum the other day because he lost a game of Uno. So I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure how to deal with that. Other than, yeah, look, how I did you deal with that? Oh well, you know, I, I don't know how to deal with it. To be honest with you, other than say, look, losing's a part of learning. So yeah, yeah, it, it's a hard one because I think it's not until they mature and understand that. That it is like failure is pretty critical, to be honest with you. You can't go through the whole life winning all Correct. the time. Actually, the only way you get better is if you fail. Mm. Because if you're not failing, you're not you're not being challenged hard enough. Mm. I always think that you know I got a philosophy with our kids here that are coming through our junior development system when they're playing, and sometimes guys you know dominate their age group, and mm. sometimes they dominate when they're playing up an age group and I say as soon as they dominate their age group you're actually better off sending them up within reason because they need to be challenged Mm. so but losing certainly you know I'm always talking about that when I coach you know failure's got to be there otherwise you're not it's not hard enough and mate in closing if you had well one piece or multiple piece of of advice for sports parents what would they be I can't go past the like it's got to be their journey Mm. That's my philosophy. You might do this interview in 10 years ago and I say, no, I should have cracked the whip harder. I don't know. It's, but yeah. I think it's my, my philosophy is that it's, it's the kid's journey and you're, we're just there to support them. And like I said, if you, if you know a bit about it, you can challenge them at times and, and push their buttons a little bit to, to get them, keep them motivated. Or, but I think largely it's just to be there to support them through their journey. And it's good to be a little bit removed as a parent, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, not, not too close to it because – there's obviously other challenges in life that you need to be available for for them too. That's gold. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Sports Parenthood. Please leave a review, share with your friends, or visit our website, sportsparenthood.com.au, to connect. Catch you next week.